pray with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh now on this preacher. And those under the sound of my voice, whether it be in their living rooms or in this room. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we've been exploring with two sermonic series what a disciple is. After those two series, I've come up with a working definition that a disciple is one who follows a radical savior on God's mission to rescue humanity. A disciple follows our savior on God's mission to rescue humanity. Now, this new series that we are in, we're exploring as a disciple on a journey with Christ and God. What is it that God calls us to do? In the first sermon, we explored prayer, which for me is the most difficult, one of the most difficult ones because, you know, it's easy when I pray a prayer for unknown people or prayers for my family, but it becomes very difficult to pray for people who are hard to understand and to be frank with you, people I just plain don't like. <laughs> because if it was me, I, I tell you right now, Judas would have never got any food. I'd have put him out of the room. And then last week, Michael talked to us about presence, being present with people. Another difficult one for me because I'm the kind of person that thinks about 50 things at one time. I have to discipline myself to be thoroughly present when I'm engaging with people and make sure that I'm listening and paying close attention to what people are saying. Those, for me, are the most difficult part of our work. And today, we come to witnessing. Now, for me, I think this is the easiest part because prayer is something that we give to God and God gives back to us. Presence is something that God requires of us and something that we must do. But witnessing, witnessing, for me, it's the easiest part. Listen to this. Witnessing is something that God empowers us to do, gives us authority to do. But you have to be careful, like this state worker who was taking a geological reading for the EPA. He, he approached a farmer and said, I've been authorized to, by the state to go into your fields, into your pastures, and take some geological readings. Do, do you mind if I do that? And the former said, you can't go out in my fields in my pasture. And the state worker got a little bit perturbed with the farmer and, and brought out a piece of paper that was signed by the director of the Environmental Protection Agency that gave him the authority to take his readings any place he chose. He showed it to the farmer and said, there, you see, 
I have the authority to go anywhere I want in your fields and in your pastures. And as the state worker started climbing over the fence, the former said, I'm telling you again, you better not go in my fields and in my pasture. A state worker paid him no mind. The state worker arrived in the middle of the field at a pasture and was setting up equipment when all of a sudden he heard and felt the ground shaking. He looked up and saw a mean old bull running toward him with his head lowered. And the state worker forgot all of his equipment, his piece of paper that gave him authority, and started running back toward the fence, hollering for the farmer, help, help, help me. Then the farmer said, show him your papers. (laughs) He had the authority. But he didn't have the power to be in that field. Jesus has given us both the authority and the power to be witnesses. God has empowered us through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of the Christ event. And that is, we know that we know that Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ rose again for all of us. When a person has been empowered, It simply means that we have been given the authority and the permission to go ahead with a task. And friends, we need to know today that as believers, we have been empowered. And the key to operating in empowerment is to embrace who has empowered us and why we have been empowered. The who is easy. We've been empowered by Jesus, our brother, our Lord, our Savior. The why of the empowerment is to be his witnesses to a world in need of hope and divine guidance. The reason we witness is we are telling a world who desperately are in need of hope and divine guidance that there is help and there is hope in Jesus Christ that God is not on vacation. God does not slumber. God does not sleep. No matter what is happening in this world, it's still God's world and God is still able to deliver us. Another way to look at this, brothers and sisters, is Jesus is giving us a marvelous opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus offers us an opportunity to partner with him in God's great kingdom work. This is radically different than what most people believe witnessing is. Most people believe witnessing is the Jehovah Witness method. witnessing. And one period in our history, that probably was true. You know the Jehovah Witnesses method is they go out in two, three, or four. They knock on folks' doors and they invite people to be a part of their watchtower way of life as, as their primary way of evangelizing. And there was once a time in American history that we could do that and people liked They didn't mind you knocking on their doors and telling your story about Jesus. But brothers and sisters, I believe that went away when we took the porches off the front of the house where we used to sit and wave at people and we put them on the back of the house and called them decks and we put high privacy fences up so nobody can disturb us. Friends, 
That's not the witness that I believe God is calling us to do. But we believers in Christ, we are called to a lifestyle. Our witness is how we live, how we love, and how we extend grace to those who are around us. Our witness is how our life demonstrates the love of God that's running through our veins, both publicly and privately. How we treat people is our witness. And that's not just the people in this room, but the people on the streets, the people everywhere. I've been to a lot of Christian conferences all over the United States. And by far, when you talk to the hotel workers, the, the one event that without a doubt, most of them don't like working are Christian events. Because they say Christians don't give like everybody else. They don't tip as well. They're hard to please. And besides, they take all of them little bottles of shampoo and everything and keep asking for more. <laughs> but that shouldn't be our witness. We shouldn't treat people, no matter what their job is, like the hired help. Wherever we are, they are our brothers and sisters. What we display to people is our witness to Jesus. I wouldn't be here where I am today if it wasn't for the examples of people who live a life publicly and privately that demonstrated God in their lives. Would it be surprising to you to know that 50% of a person's brain capacity is acquired by the age of five, 80% by the age of eight. You know what this says to me? Teachers have a very difficult, difficult task, particularly in the age of COVID. It is an assignment that has me praying for our brothers and sisters who use teaching as not just a profession, but as a gift back to society. It says to me that, that primary school teachers and Sunday school teachers are crucial witnessing, witnesses to their students. When I was in the third grade, my father had two jobs. One, he carried those railroad ties that you see the tracks nailed to, his job was to carry them to a creosote vat. And when they were dipped, he had to, they put them back on his shoulder and he carried them and stacked them. It didn't pay enough money to take care of our family. So on the weekends, he went in the woods with some friends of his and they cut trees for the paper factory certain tea paper factory in East St. Louis, and sold them. One weekend, one of the trees did not fail where it was supposed to, and it hit my father in the head. When I went to see him in the hospital as the oldest son with my mother in the third grade, he was bandaged, and I walked in the room, they put a thermometer in his mouth, and he chewed it. 
That's when I knew something was radically wrong. My third grade teacher, Mr. Charles Tiggs, he could sense that something was not right. I was acting out in class. He asked me to stay after school, and I, I, yeah, I'm in trouble. I know, I know. He sat me down and he said, listen, if you want it, I have a job for you. The soda machine in the teacher's lounge needs to be filled once a day. If you'll fill that machine once a day, I'll pay you 50 cents a day to do it. And every evening he met me there to show me how to unlock that machine and watch me as I put each and every can in the machine. I wonder if he knew the life-saving witness that he was giving to me. I didn't even know that Charles Tigg was a Christian until I was an adult and became a pastor myself. And I went to his church, Wesley Bethel United Methodist Church in East St. Louis to preach. And there he was. He never said to me that I'm a Christian. He never even said to me that Jesus loves me. But for a year or so that I was going through one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, he was there by my side. Teachers and Sunday school teachers, you play an incredible role of witnessing to students, not just primary school, but college. I went to college because I wanted to know more about religion. I never went to be a pastor. I just wanted to know all I could about religion. I, I, I took the entrance exam, and a nun, Sister Gabriel Rowe, after the exam, she said, Son, you can't read. You're reading at a fifth grade level at best. She said, how did you graduate from high school? I don't know. I went to school. I played football. I did all the sports. I got a scholarship to Grambling State University. I did okay. She said, but you forgot to learn how to read. And she said, we normally don't accept students to McKendry University who are reading on a fifth grade level. We normally would ask you to go to a community college and get your skills levels up so that you would have an opportunity to make it here and you would be getting an equal footing and equal start. She said, but I'm over the learning center. If you will come to the learning center every day and allow me to tutor you and take my English classes, I'll admit you and we'll see where you are at the end of the first semester. I graduated from McKendrick College, summa cum laude, 
And there on the front row, with tears in her eyes, was Sister Gabrielle Rowe, who saw something in me that I didn't even know I had. Today, we will read names and light candles for people who have passed this way. Many of them sat where you sit. And many of them have had influences on your life. They witnessed to you by how they live, the faith that they had. And now that they have died and they've gone to be with God, that witness does not stop because they poured into you life-giving hope that you could continue to pass on. One of the most well-known addresses in East St. Louis is 2114 Missouri Avenue. That's the home of the officer funeral home. When I grew up, there were only two black funeral homes in East St. Louis, and nobody ever went to the other one. They all went to officer. It was not in, and it's still not, in the best part of town. It is in a seedy part of town. 30 years ago, my mother passed away. And we went to the viewing at Officer Funeral Home. And I went outside to smoke a cigarette. Oh, yeah, I smoked those dreadful things. It was dark, eight o'clock or so. And I look down Missouri Avenue, and it looked like I saw a white fellow walking down Missouri Avenue. That never happens. As he got closer, I realized he was my pastor from Lebanon. And I said to him, I said, John, I appreciate you wanting to be here, man, but you shouldn't be here. You're in one of the most dangerous areas in the Metro East, and I, I wouldn't want to see anything happen to you. He said, if it happens to me, I believe it was God's will because I'm exactly where I believe God wants me to be. That statement is why not only did he become my father in the ministry, but he made me want to be half the pastor he was because he cared about people. You could see it every time he was around one of his congregants. You could see the great love that he had and wanted to demonstrate to all who were in his presence. Brothers and sisters, witnessing is not about telling people your story remembering a few scriptures. It's about showing people with your life what you believe. It's about how you treat people at the grocery store. How you treat people who are workers at hospitals, 
and nursing homes. How you treat the janitor at the restaurant that you like to eat in, that's your witness. You never have to open your mouth and start telling people about Jesus. You simply must live the life that Christ died to give us. And oh, by the way, he doesn't leave it to us to be the witness. In the text that you've heard read, he said, I'm going to send you a helper, a guide, a teacher, one that will take up residence in you, one that will lead and guide and teach you and empower you and give you the authority to be present with people and live a life that you could no more live by yourself than you could have learned to walk and talk all by yourself. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to a loving, grace-filled God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that wherever we are, you are with us. There's no place we go that you aren't there before us and beside us. Thank you for these saints that are in this room. And thank you for the saints that now you have with you in heaven. And they rest from their labors down here. But they participate daily in the lives of the saints up there with you. Praising and singing and worshiping you daily. With the simple words, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and God of might. Amen. Jane Beck. Ruth Doran. Bill Dunbar. Wilma Eddings. Penny Egan. Pam Hall, William Kinsey, Wilda Kester, Fern Kushan, Fred Kukuk, Chuck Lamlin, Alan La Rochelle, Gina Lockenbitz, Frank Newberry, 
Bill Nicholson, Dave O'Neill, Bill Sampson, and Marilyn Yokel. We remember these who continue to witness by the gift of their life among us.